want to start by reading you some words written by the Apostle John in the 13th chapter of the, of the biography of Jesus that he wrote. He said, It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. For those of you who have been part of Community Christian Church for a while, remember just a few weeks ago when life was normal and we started a whole new series of teaching called Jesus is Greater Than Everything. Mm. Little did we know when we started that series how much all of us would need to be reminded of that really central truth. So this last week, I bet I'm like many of you, the, the most commonly stated thing that I've said to people this week is, I, I've never seen anything like this. I'm 60 years old, I've seen a lot of things happen in our country and around the world, and really in my life there's nothing been like this particular last 10, 12, for some people, month or more. Where, you know, 9-11 some people say was similar, but on 9-11 we got punched really hard and then we all sort of collectively, we got our wits back a about us and we sort of did that American thing and we said hey we're going to be all right and we're going to fight back and we all came together and we pulled together and there was a sense of hope that everything would be okay even though life would be hard mm -hmm. but for the last few days it's been like every day and not even just every day every hour and then sometimes several times an hour there's something else that's just it's striking at the core and it feels like Death and destruction is right around every turn for many of us. And all of us grieve for thousands of people have already lost their life. And for the people that, even in our own community, the person that lost their life yesterday, there's no one that takes that lightly. And all of us feel badly for the people who have to stand by those graves and people they love. And at the same time, we stand back and we're thankful that no one that I personally now know, I'm thankful that they haven't been touched by this disease yet. But that doesn't mean it, it hasn't really affected anybody. I mean, all of us have been affected in all kinds of ways. I have a close friend that I spend time with every week, uh, and he has a small business, and all this week I've been praying for him and his employees because of the situation that's already put that business in in a real trying situation, and he's not alone. I mean, this is a family business that they've had in their family for generations. It's taking care of their family and also the employees that they work there, and now it all seems to be up in the air. Uh, this morning, while we were getting ready for this, some of you began to text me. I had a couple of texts from people, and then more just a few minutes ago came in before we started this saying, hey, last night I got the notice I'm not going to be working anymore. Some of you have been already at that place, you're at home, and 
you're in a situation where it was already tight and now your income's been cut back or your kids are out of school and maybe you're even working but you weren't prepared to pay for daycare and now things are gotten tighter and at every point you just get stuck at times that anxiety begins to spin in your head and it feels in your heart and you get stuck and it feels like death and destruction and we don't know how we're going to get better and there's no collective sense that we're together in it that it just you get stuck and it feels at times I feel at times that all I can do is just worry. And see, that's why I love that scripture that we just read together so much. Because if you notice, John talk, starts this whole passage off by talking to us about what Jesus knew. Did you notice that? He talks about how Jesus knew that the time had come for him to, to leave this world. He knew his time was coming to an end. That means that he knew the cross was coming which means he knew the suffering that he was about to endure. But, but he also knew, because he, he's, he's the son of God, he knew the minds of the people that were right around that table that night. So he knew that all of them, all of his disciples, his friends, were about to desert him and, and leave him alone. He even knew that Judas, one of his, his very closest friends, was about to betray him and turn him into the Romans who would then kill him. Jesus knew all of these things that were coming, and yet Jesus isn't paralyzed by fear. He, he's, he's, he's not stuck. He, he's not worrying. You know what Jesus does? He just keeps on being Jesus. <laughs> he keeps on being exactly who he is. In fact, did you notice that verse that I read? It said, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You know, those words were written by John. And at the point he writes these words, he's an old man. He's looking back on his time with Jesus and he remembers all these things and he doesn't see it as just individual events. He sees the entire picture, the whole story. And he's basically just saying, you know, the day Jesus called us and asked us to come follow him, he loved us. And then for the next three and a half years when we hung out with him, he loved us. And here we are at the very end, and his world is, our world is crumbling down around us like maybe yours feels like it is. And Jesus just keeps on loving us. He just kept right on being who he was. And then John tells us the reason was because of something else Jesus knew. And Nathan, you read this verse. Mm -hmm. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. <laughs> he knew that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. See, Jesus knew where he'd come from. Jesus knew where he was going. And he knew all along that way he had a father who was with him, who cared for him, and he had confidence in his father. He knew he could trust him. And so he placed his faith in him. So there's no reason for Jesus to be stuck. There's no reason for him to change course. He just keeps right on loving God and loving his friends. Right? Yeah. Well, and I think what John then takes is John's now writing, like he said, as an old man, and he's looking back on this moment, and he's trying to capture it for people, and really his whole writing is Jesus' life, and John becomes obsessed with love. I mean, everything he writes about is about love, even when he writes other, you know, he wrote this book, but he wrote other books to churches, and he was writing these letters to them and saying, God is love. And for him, this wasn't just an idea that all of us like, right? Love everyone always, and we love the idea, and we hold on to the idea, but for him, it's not just some an inner attitude I have or a feeling. It's love is my will, my ability to work and to want things for people directed towards people, directed for the good of other people. And John, I think, looks back on this moment and says he loved them to the end. And then 
He just remembers almost, oh, and then there was this moment where his love became so embodied that Jesus looked around and goes, yes, I'm about to go do this act, but I'm going to serve you one more time. He sees this unmet need that we've already talked about a couple times. He says, no one's washed anyone's feet, so I'll do that. I know that's the job of a servant, but I'll be the one to do it. So he goes and he loves them one more time by serving them. And then this is what he says, uh, John writes about after all that. He said, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and Lord just means master, and rightly so, for that's what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. And very truly, I tell you, no slave, no servant is greater than the one uh, than their master, and nor is a messenger greater than the one who sends the message. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And that's what they did. You know, our heritage as Christians is really pretty simple. In four days, these guys gathered around the table with Jesus would have their whole world blown up. Well, actually for them, it started the very next morning. Jesus would be arrested and he'd be killed before the day was over. And at the end of that Friday, there are no followers. No one's there. They're scared. And then on Sunday, Jesus resurrects and it changes everything. And they remembered this event. And they went and did exactly what he asked them to do. In fact, the history of the early church is just two things. They had a really straightforward message and they had a really straightforward method. They went to everybody, everywhere that they could. And they said, Jesus was God's appointed servant. He was, he was the son of God. You killed him. God raised him from the dead, and we have seen him. Therefore, we know that he's Lord over everything, and everyone ought to follow him. And then their method was they just loved everybody. People who loved them, people who followed Jesus with them, and people who didn't. People who were for them and people who were against them. People who helped them and people who eventually killed them. They just found a need, and they directed their will toward the good of the other person. They just loved people. In fact, I mentioned this if you were here with us last Sunday in the message that I taught. In those early days when the church was just getting started and and the the disciples were spreading that message that you just talked about, Ed, even the folks who were outside of their community in that moment in the first century, it was mainly the Romans, they looked at this new community of believers in Jesus and they were just shocked because they were just so compassionate to people and and I mentioned a couple of examples last week. In their culture, in the Roman culture, if you had a child that you didn't want anymore for whatever reason, it was lawful to just abandon that child. And so these early Christians said, no, not on our watch, not while we're here. And so they, they began to bring those children in and to care for them just as if they were their own. And then you fast forward a few hundred years, and what you find is it was the Christians who began the very first orphanages. Mm-hmm. And then when sickness would enter into a community in that day it was the christians who would run toward the sick not away from them and they would care for them many times at the cost of their own lives or risking their own lives and they were and again you fast forward a few hundred years and it was the christians who were building the very first hospitals absolutely you know and think about this the early 
early days of really any, anything in history, right? The Roman Empire still going, the church is just starting, and there's a plague in the 250s, so just a hundred, you know, a couple hundred years after the church has started, and there's no germ theory of disease spreading. There's no modern medicine to really even protect anybody, and there's a plague that happens in the 250s called the Syrian Plague, um, which many people equate to what would probably be like the Ebola virus that uh, our world faced a, a few years back. And about 5,000 Romans a day, it was estimated, were dying because of this disease. And just as you could imagine, the world is freaking out. And so one historian writes about the early days of the plague like this. He said, at the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and they fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the disease. And this is how everyone was responding. But Christians at this time run towards the sick as they follow Jesus who touched lepers, as Jason was talking about. That he, they, they run towards the sick and they run to take care of people, even at the cost of their own life. In fact, one early Christian leader at this time, he's a bishop in Rome, he writes to Christians about this idea of don't just take care of one another and people in your church, take care of everyone. And this is how he wrote it. He said, there is nothing remarkable in cherishing merely our own people with the due attentions of love. We should overcome evil with good and practice a merciful kindness like that of our God, we should love our enemies well. And see, even in the 1500s when the bubonic plague hits uh, Europe and Martin Luther, who's a pastor in Germany at this time, he's very influential in the history of the church. He ends up writing to Christian pastors and saying, don't leave your churches behind. Don't flee the cities like everyone else is. He says, Christian governors, don't leave your people. He says, Christian doctors, stay and take care of the sick. Love them just as Jesus would. And the world's never been able to understand this. It, it doesn't make sense. In fact, in the 300s, uh, there's an, a Roman emperor named Julian who had actually uh, removed Christianity as the, the uh, state religion at the time. And he had instituted this other polytheistic religion. And he's embarrassed because he's trying to, to cut down on the Christians. And he's embarrassed that the Christians during the plague are taking care of the pagan and polytheistic worship, worshipers. But those priests are not returning it to the Christians. So he writes to his pagan priests and say, we need you to start taking care of Christians as well. But there's no evidence they ever did. And what historians have noted is it's because there's no doctrinal statement in early paganism or polytheism, especially the Greek and Roman kind that says you take care of your neighbors. But it was central to Christian doctrine that you love your enemies and you love your neighbors just as you love yourself. And that's just who we are. That's the central core of the cloud of witnesses, the writer of Hebrews would say, that we've been surrounded by. A few years ago, I stood before our congregation when we wanted to gear up our efforts to do something about poverty in our world, and I said, you know, I love history, and I've always wondered, in the 1930s in Germany, if I had been alive and been an adult and been a Christian, would I have stood up to the Nazis and said, hey, this is not right? Would I have had the courage to do that? I was alive in the 1960s in the South, in the United States, when Reverend Martin Luther King and I believe Jesus were marching in the streets to end our racial uh, segregation. And I've always wondered, I was a little boy, it, if I had been a pastor in the South at that time, would I have had the courage to stand up and say, this cannot continue? But those were not my day. 
That was not my call. This is my day. And this is our call. It's the history of Christians that we find whatever needs to be done and we move forward. We take our will and we direct it toward the good of everyone around us. For years now at Community Christian, at least the last two, we've been saying to everyone, hey, I want you to begin to figure out how you can bless the people that are around you, your neighbors. Just begin with prayer and listen to their story and eat with them and serve them. And you're getting to the place when you serve them first with that method that the early church had, and then you can share the story that the early church had of Jesus as God's son. He was given his life for ours. We killed him. God raised him. And now we follow him. So this week when I was driving back from vacation and I knew I'd be coming into this and thinking of the opportunity, I said to Becky as we drove, I really believe this isolation that we're going to be called to is going to be a great opportunity for us in our neighborhood that, to live out the blessed strategy that at this point it had only had limited success. I mean, I've been doing what you have. I've been praying. I've been trying to get to know people around me. But with some of my neighbors, it's been a little more than, hey. <laughs> and that's about all we wanted because in that time, that's all we needed. But I said, I think people are going to be driven to isolation, but they're going to want community. So I said, I'm going to type up some cards. And just for complete honesty, since I can barely speak, my wife typed up the cards. <laughs> uh, and I said, I want to say on the card this thing. My name's Ed Martin, and my wife Becky and I live at 75 Creekside. I'm sorry if we haven't met yet, though we're neighbors. But we're now in this crazy time when we're told to distance ourselves from each other while this health crisis is happening. Yet I know this is a time when we all need somebody who's close by that can check on us and help us if we have a need. So here's my phone number. If you'll text me or call me, then I'll have your number. And every day, I will reach out to you by phone, not in person, just to see how you're doing and see if there's anything I could do to help you. I'm your neighbor, and I want to be a good one. So if you're interested, you just text me and call me, and we'll start from there. And so this week, that's what I did when I got home. I began to walk around my neighborhood, just the close ones. I live in a big neighborhood, so, and I would just go, and I'd, my plan had been to take the card and to stick it in the door and knock on the door and go, hey, I'm your neighbor from 75 Creekside. You don't have to open the door. I'm just going to leave something for you and get it when you're gone. But for a lot of my neighbors, knocking on the door, me saying that, they opened the door before I got down our really short walkways, and we began a conversation. And I've had the most amazing opportunities to, that I didn't think I was going to get for a while, that my prayers were being answered, that there were walls broken down, there were opportunities given, and there's a chance to breathe hope into people that badly need it. So what you and I know is, I, I'm not saying that anybody else has to do this, but what I know is if you're a follower of Christ, you and I have been called to do this, to love people, and not to feel something for people, but to do something for them and our God is unstoppable, mm -hmm. and you are his representative right where you are. And if you're willing, we can do, we can pray for them, we can help them, we can talk to them, we can encourage them, and God will be with you, and you will be blessed if you will do it. So at this final meal where Jesus 
washes his disciples' feet. He then gives them this new command, love one another just as I have loved you. And then he's going to go and give them the greatest example of what that is. I lay down my life for you. I give everything for you. And he tells them this is to create a new covenant, which is just a new agreement between God and people. He says it's not based on anything that came before. That's why Jesus is greater. It's, it's based on me. It's based on my life and who I am and what I've done for you. And you follow my example. You love as I have loved you. And he tells him about this new covenant. And then he takes part in a meal where he lets people know, well, this is how you're going to remember this new covenant. So he takes, he takes bread from the table and he breaks it. And he says, this right here, this is my body given for you. And so if you have those elements, go ahead and start getting them. And then he said, thank you. He said, this right here is my blood and it's poured out for you to make this new covenant. And he says, every time you get together, you do this. And you remember me. If you haven't done it already, would you take what you're using to represent the body of Jesus and just hold on to it? Share, of course, with the people that are with you. But if you're alone, would you hold for just a minute so that we can do this communally together? This represents the body of our Lord. It was given freely for us sinners to make a way that we could be a part of his kingdom. Take and eat. And now take the juice or whatever you have available to you. Hold this and remember, this is the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you and every person to make a new covenant, a new agreement between God and people. Let's drink and remember him. And now wherever you are, would you just bow your heads and I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for his example, for what he did for us, to give us the hope that we have through his sacrifice. And because of what he's done for us and the hope that we've been given, we now come to you in this time in our history when we're so uncertain. Many of us are very fearful, anxious. And we ask that you would be our peace, peace that transcends all of our understanding, and that you would remind us that no matter what, even when the earth gives way, that you've risen, and you have overcome this world. And so we pray for everyone who has been affected by this virus. We pray for those who are near to those who are, would you protect them? We pray for those who are, who are suffering. And because you are the great healer, we pray for a cure. Mm-hmm. We pray that the scientists and the doctors who are working on this would find uh, a treatment, a cure, a vaccine very soon. We pray for those who are working in the hospitals and those first responders. We pray for their families, that you would protect them. You would give them strength and peace as well. And for all of us, may we know You are God. You are in control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.